bi-weekly podcast going in-depth on pro-life news and issues. I'm your host, Chris Gast, RLM's Director of Communication and Education. Happy Thursday, everybody. We have a staff event tomorrow, so we're doing Life Beat today. Our feature today is going to be talking about abortion and vaccines. And uh, we'll get into that after we get to a couple of important news stories really quick. Uh, the last podcast, I talked about the Charlie Guard case, and hopefully... By the time of this podcast, we could report a better outcome, but uh, it seems the parents have given up their court battle, and Charlie is not going to get the experimental treatment. He is uh, likely to die in hospice. His parents were also unsuccessful in getting the court to let them take him home so that he could die at home. And so uh, the parents said, and the lawyers for the parents said, that the court action had been delayed so long that Charlie had deteriorated to the point that the treatment was very unlikely to do anything for him. So, very unfortunate. You know, sometimes you don't need to actually win a case in court. Sometimes you only need to delay or distract, and you can achieve your goal in the end, which, again, the court achieved their goal of declaring Charlie guard's life is futile, and therefore it should end. So it's very sad. The other bit of news this week, Obamacare. This is our biweekly update. Is it dead? Is it alive? We don't know. Um, you know, like I said in the previous podcast, don't count it out. I remember the beginning of this week, Obamacare, uh, the effort to repeal or replace uh, or whatnot, was uh, completely dead and it's all over. And John McCain is having brain surgery and they don't have the votes. And then lo and behold... John McCain flies in several days after brain surgery, and they have a, a vote on a uh, motion to proceed. In other words, so now they're debating Obamacare, and uh, they've had a couple bills come up that have failed. Is it dead? Is it alive? We don't know. And so, again, I just want to caution you when a pundit says he knows what's happening now and what's going to happen next week, don't believe the pundit. Nobody knows. This is a obviously messy process. And we'll see where it goes. And once again, when we have an actual situation where we think that you can be of help, we'll let you know uh, when it's time to contact your legislators. Another bit of good news is uh, one of Michigan's most notorious abortion clinics is closed. Woman Care of Southfield has, well, it's been out of practice for several months now. They haven't been performing abortions. But the abortion clinic owner, uh, Jacob Kalo, has officially put the property up for sale. So in other words, he's run up the white flag. This was an extremely notorious clinic. It was previously owned by uh, former abortionist Alberto Hodari. I should say retired abortionist. Um, you know, under Hodari's care, at least three women have died. Siobhan Williams, Regina Johnson, and Tamia Russell. It was behind this clinic that Dr. Monica Miller discovered the bodies of babies being dumped in the trash, along with the patient records of more than 200 women. When the other side complains about pro-lifers in front of clinics trying to track who these women are and, and whatnot, it's kind of ridiculous because it's not what we do, but that's what they do. They just dump patient records into the garbage. 
And of course, is uh, was Hodari really held responsible for these HIPAA violations, for these violations of sanitary procedures? No. They always get away with this stuff. It's it's mind-boggling how easily they get away with this stuff. If we had a mistake in our taxes, you better believe the IRS and a pro-abortion regime would come down on us like a 10-ton bag of hammers. But again, abortion businesses are never held accountable in the way they should be. One other thing I wanted to briefly touch on before we get into the feature is uh, this whole year we have a theme of a world without Roe, uh, just kind of a theme that we're exploring in various things that we do. And uh, every quarter we've been picking a sort of topic within a theme to really talk about, focus our educational efforts on. And this in this uh, quarter, the topic of focus is the cost of Roe. So what's the actual human cost of Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton? And so if you're listening, I just want to caution you. Um, so often we talk about Roe and Doe as bad decisions, which they completely are, or completely unjust decisions. But we can never lose sight of the real reason that we're still opposing this 44 years later. It's the human cost of these decisions, which, is, again, is more than 56 million lives. How can you possibly account for that? How can you get people to visualize such a large loss of life? Um, you know, it's very hard. The, the one example I like to use the most, it's a little bit hard to describe, but if you've ever been to Arlington National Cemetery... It's it's very moving, and I'm not just talking about the tomb of the unknown soldier, but the actual the actual grave sites, just row upon row upon row upon row of white crosses, or really a tombstone, I should say, and it, it strikes you that all these people uh, either died or gave a, a large part of their life as as a veteran, um, or there's I believe there's some spouses married there too, or who gave the lives of their own family members, or had to suffer through. Uh, being alone as a family member is off to war. And so all the sacrifices in these cemetery for us, so we can enjoy, for example, our right to life today. Um, it just really impresses upon you uh, how important it is. Now, there's about 400,000 graves in Arlington National Cemetery, and it takes up about 425 acres uh, just in Arlington there across the river from Washington, D.C. Uh, you can get to the Custis House, uh, the, you know, the Robert E. Lee estate where they built the cemetery. Um, it's on a hill, and you can look down and see Washington, D.C., and, you know, overlooking all these crosses. It's quite a breathtaking sight. But if you wanted to fit all of the unborn children aborted into a similar uh, graves, the size of that cemetery would need to be twice the size of the District of Columbia. So you imagine 400,000 graves, rows upon rows, as far as the eye can see, and it's just a tiny little drop in the bucket of the cost of Roe and Doe. We often talk about the cost of war, the high and tragic cost of war, but uh, Roe and Doe and abortion on demand have dwarfed uh, some of the most heartbreaking tragedies and sacrifices you can imagine. And so that's that's the level of fight that we have. And as pro-lifers, we don't ever want to forget that. All right, that uh, that actually provides a perfect segue into our next topic, abortion and vaccines, because uh, vaccines are obviously a highly charged, controversial topic. 
which we won't get into that really here, but uh, the fact that many vaccines are made from the cell lines taken from aborted babies uh, adds a different dimension, uh, highly moral dimension to the vaccine debate. Usually vaccine debates are about medical transparency or health effects and whatnot. But when it comes to the issue of abortion vaccines, we're talking about, again, the cost of the value of human life and what it means in terms of basic medical ethics. And so uh, we'll just get right into the, the basic details. So a vaccine, the theory behind vaccines is that by introducing a weakened version of a uh, of a virus that the body will train itself into fighting it and be more effective in uh, preventing any uh, long-term infection. And so in order to grow a virus or a weakened virus uh, to create a vaccine, they need to be grown somewhere. So how do you grow a virus or how do you grow this modified virus uh, in, in the way that you want. And you have to grow it using something organic. And most vaccines are grown using uh, cell lines from um, animals or people. Uh, some of them are grown, or for example, for yeast or whatnot. Uh, how do we grow the virus? Well, in some cases, for some vaccines, uh, they are produced using cell lines that were created from aborted babies. These babies were aborted specifically for uh, elective reasons, and then their bodies, uh, in essence, have been preserved and are used to create these vaccines. So now, uh, that's kind of the theory behind uh, vaccines, how they work. Uh, now we need to get into how exactly these cell lines came to be. Uh, most vaccines that are problematic, well, actually, all vaccines so far that are FDA approved that are problematic involve two cell lines. One is uh, WI38 and the other is MRC5. Uh, WI38 is named after the Y-Star Institute in Philadelphia where it was developed. And then uh, MRC5 is named after, uh, not actually sure what it's named after now that I think about it. But that's what the name of it is, <laughs> MRC5. Um, so WI38 is a very famous cell line. is developed by Dr. Leonard Hayflick in 1962. And they took the lung cells from an aborted girl. And uh, it was approximately the end of the first trimester. There's several other cell lines that are used for various other forms of research, uh, also developed at this institute. Uh, they're all obtained from surgical elective abortions. And so uh, this vaccine is, any vaccines using this cell line has uh, viruses grown in that cell line. Now, none of the actual cells of the child make it into the vaccine. But there is measurable residual biological uh, contents from those cell lines. And so part components of those fetal cells are being assimilated into the vaccine. So that's uh, one level of concern about it. Uh, the MRC5 line was created in 1966 uh, by British researchers, the National Institute for Medical Research. Um, they're 
research, again, paralleled Dr. Hayflick's development. And uh, the reason that they use aborted baby cell lines is they're able to uh, have them reproduce indefinitely. So in essence, uh, to a certain point, I think it's uh, you could do 50 generations of cell lines. So if you multiply the original number, number of cells um, exponentially 50 times, that's a gigantic large amount of cells. And so uh, these cells are all alike. They all came from the same source. Uh, and so they're, they're easy to work with for the researchers. And um, there's a couple other cell lines that are being used in vaccine development today um, that none of them are actually being used uh, yet in any FDA approved vaccines. Uh, per C6 is uh, one example. And that, again, was a baby that was aborted for uh, completely elective purposes. And so uh, all these cell lines are being used uh, repeatedly to continue to develop vaccines. And that's really where the source of this controversy is, because this isn't just they did this in the 60s and we're not doing it again. They're still developing cell lines from these aborted babies today. And in fact, there's a growing concern, as we saw with the Center for Medical Progress's videos about uh, selling these aborted babies to researchers, that uh, fetal tissue in, in research is going to be a exploding issue that we're going to have to cover more. Uh, now, most of this information you can find on our website, rtl.org. You can just type into Google, abortion vaccines, because we're the number one Google hit, uh, at least in the state of Michigan. I haven't tried Googling it elsewhere, um, for that issue. And so uh, you Google that, and you get our uh, life notes explaining it all. We're going to have to update that life note soon again, because as we learn more and more about uh, the depths of how researchers are using fetal tissue. But uh, this Life Notes issue explains all of this in detail that I just went through. And it also critically gives you the list of vaccines that contain these cell lines. And it also gives you the alternatives. So I'm going to run through it really quick. Maybe you just happen to be listening. Maybe you just happen to be going to get a vaccine soon or, or you've had one. But uh, again, and we know this is these vaccines contain these cell lines very simply because it's right on the FDA package insert. You can look on the FDA package insert for all vaccines and see exactly um, what was put into them. And so these uh, vaccines contain or were produced using the cell lines from aborted babies. Uh, the adenovirus vaccine doesn't have a name. That's only for military personnel. Uh, Verivax, which is chickenpox. Penticel, which is, covers your diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis, polio, and Hib. Um, then there's Havrix and Vacta, which are hepatitis A. Twinrix, which is hepatitis A and B. The MMR2 vaccine, which is measles, mumps, and rubella. Proquad, which is uh, the MMR plus chickenpox. Uh, Imavax, which is rabies. And Zostavax, which is shingles, which you may have seen ads for that recently. A lot of TV ads, because that was newly developed. Now, there are approved alternatives. And, um, for example, for diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis, you can take Dapticel or Adicel. Um, I won't go through the entire list, but I do want to list uh, the diseases that we don't have alternatives for. 
and that is currently uh, the adenovirus, which again is only for use in military personnel, the chickenpox, hepatitis A, uh, that MMR, which is measles, mumps, and rubella, and shingles. So those are the vaccines that there are no alternatives. Any alternative approved by the FDA was made using the tissue from aborted babies. Most of these other um, vaccines that were alternatives used, for example, yeast, uh, monkey cells, uh, somewhat uh, synthetic, or a, a various mix of cell lines. And so that's where we stand. And so I would encourage you to go to the website. You can get that list. Uh, if there's an alternative available, I want to encourage you to ask your doctor for that alternative or just bring it up to your doctor. You know, this is, this is very important, and this is where we're going to get into the ethical considerations is that um, whether you are for or against using these particular vaccines, um, you really should let your doctor know. The medical community often doesn't know this themselves. They don't go through the FDA package inserts of every vaccine. Uh, it's FDA approved, so in their mind, it's good to go. And a lot of doctors, even pro-life doctors, aren't aware of the source of these vaccines or that there are alternatives available and they should have those alternatives available for people who object to using them. And so obviously, uh, we believe that uh, you know using human beings as guinea pigs is wrong. It was wrong, for example, in the Tuskegee syphilis experiments when we experimented on patients without their consent by giving them syphilis. It was wrong in certain other situations. And so we shouldn't be developing these cell lines from uh, aborted babies like this, especially, you know, specifically electively ab aborted babies. You know, if, if you want to use a cell line from a baby that miscarried, um, you know, that's perfectly understandable. That's no different than a person dying and donating their organs and tissues. But here we're killing people. We're killing people purposefully for their tissue. And that's wrong. Now, can you use the vaccines? Well, um, we don't really make a ultimate judgment on that. Uh, we just present the fact that there are uh, pro-life people who completely disagree and believe that using these vaccines um, is, in, in effect, endorsing the original acts of aborting those babies that created them, or that by using them that you are encouraging further development of vaccines that involves aborted babies. And there's a certain truth to that. On the other hand, um, for most of the, for these two the vaccines that are currently FDA approved, uh, these abortions happened more than 50 years ago, and some pro-life people, um, even uh, you know perhaps one of the, the titan and almost the founder of the pro-life movement, Dr. Jack Wilkie, said that uh, using these vaccines is morally allowable because the effects are so far removed that you can't be really morally culpable, and especially. Um, you know, for the vaccines that there's no alternative, you're faced with a choice of uh, should I use this vaccine or should I put my health at risk? Now, I do want to say that what both of those camps can agree on is that everyone ought to know these facts, which many people don't. They shouldn't have to go to a pro-life website to get it. This should be commonly known. In fact, a lot of people won't trust information from pro-life organizations. And so uh, it'd be nice if the media actually did their jobs and reported this, but often that's not the case. Or some media might shy away because it's part of the overall vaccine controversy. Well, um, leaving that controversy aside, you know, this is, this is not 
really controversial or some kind of urban myth, it's right there in the FDA package insert. Any person can read it for themselves. And media, I believe, has a honor bound to report the information about this because this is a highly charged issue. So all the commenters, you know, all the side, the both camps, whether or not you can use these vaccines, would agree that um, people should know the facts. And then again, pro-life citizens should make an effort, talk to your doctor, call up these drug companies. Um, we should pressure these producers to eliminate their tainted products, and they should only offer ethically acceptable products. There's no reason that they need to rely on the tissue from aborted babies to make these vaccines. All right, that's all the time we have for this edition of LifeBeat. Join us again in two weeks where we're going to revisit the abortion industry caught on tape in Michigan, Renee Chilean in particular, uh, just so that we always keep in the front of our minds just how the abortion industry operates. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful summer weekend.